The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Welcome back to the Brandon Peter Show and our Tim Burton's Big Retrospective Series, Tim Burton, which also features Scott Mendelson from The Rap. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. All right. This fourth installment of the series will feature us discussing Ed Wood from 1994, 1996's Mars Attacks, 1999 Sleepy Hollow, and... Planet of the Apes from 2001, an odyssey in and of itself. I wanted to note at the top, we ended last episode with Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, which he produced, he did not direct, but we felt that's that's an inclusion in his canon. During this period, and in 1996, um, Henry Selleck directs James and the Giant Peach, which... Tim Burton also produces, but because that movie uh, doesn't have Tim Burton's name plastered all over it in the marketing, um, I think it was known that he's involved and it's kind of the characters. I don't know. It doesn't have voice talent that says, "Hey, it's Tim Burton's people," and plus, let's give Henry Selleck some fucking credit for something. <laughs> on his own basically here. what the movie was like you know here's your reward for directing a movie where some other guy got all the credit yeah so, and i'd like to think that burton like yeah i'll put my name on that sort of as a thank you yeah so i'm i've just i decided to not cover it as part of this and count it as a henry selick picture yeah. i imagine and if i'm speaking out of terms so be it he had about as much to do with james of the giant peach as he did with batman forever you right yeah yep nope <laughs> That's the yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, we're in his first film. We're gonna start. Okay, so uh, this episode leading up to our first film here, uh, this is gonna be our first up and down period of his work. So right now he's just been shoo, flying high. Well, we're coming off him. He was working on Batman three. I don't know if he was gonna call it forever. Do you know that, Scott? I don't. Okay. Um, Batman 3, he was involved in production. He had a script. He'd cast Marlon Waynes to play Robin. Uh, I believe the Riddler was going to be the villain. That was... Mm -hmm. uh, But after returns and the reception and the studio wanting to go in a different way, they kind of mutually let it go. (laughs) Like, please, please leave. We're not going to fire you, but please quit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was kind of that way, and he got a producer credit, um, but his Batman 3 was not seen, and Marlon Wayans got paid for a movie he wasn't in. Billy D. Williams got paid to not be in Batman forever. And uh, yeah, but t- two actors have in common. I can't quite figure it out. But Tim Burton, he's the racist. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so Tim Burton leaves that. He goes on uh, in this time, so his, you know, Batman... <laughs> 
Forever or Batman Batman Returns is 1992. He's got his next film will be 94, but in this time he takes on Mary Riley, which was starring Winona Ryder, his frequent collaborator. But things went south there as they tried to fast track the film. They uh, they replaced Winona Ryder with Julia Roberts, and he left it. Um, so that's where. So if you've ever seen the Julia Roberts Mary Riley, that was supposed to be Tim Burton's film, um, did not happen. And I'm sure it didn't happen the way he he had planned it. Um, but I'm one of eight people that actually likes that movie. I okay. saw it on opening. I saw it with a double feature with Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx. Oh wow! So there's some total whiplash for you right there. Uh, random Six Degrees of Separation. That film, of course, stars co-stars John Malkovich as mm-hmm. the Jekyll Hyde character, yep. and he was allegedly as recently as ni- the summer of '93, neck and neck with Robin Williams for the Riddler okay. in what would eventually become uh, Batman Forever. Gotcha. Uh, R- Williams allegedly got tired of them, you know, waiting to pull the trigger either way. Mm-hmm. Malkovich, it didn't happen, and by, you know, by the summer of nineteen ninety four, we ended up with Jim Carrey out of nowhere getting five million dollars, fresh off the success of Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, and I think the mask had either just come out or was about to come out, but they knew it was going to be a hit. Mm-hmm. And this was, of course, during that incredible triple whammy year that was Jim Carrey's 1994 with Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. Um, And, you know, regardless of who you think should have played the Riddler, he was absolutely a huge added value element in terms of continuing that franchise's reign and top the the domestic box office. It was a big, Um, it was, it was a huge, it was the choice you make in that moment and you would make if you traveled back in time in that moment. And he's, I, I think he's very good in that. People, it, people were in love with that performance back then. Mm-hmm. It, it, time has made people change their minds on things that they, oh, I never liked it to begin with. Shut the f- up. Everybody went and saw Batman Forever and was like, oh, well, this isn't going to be so bad without Burton. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it was a different kind of film and it obviously was a bit campier and a bit mm-hmm. more family friendly. I'll, you know, for what that's worth. Yeah. Um, but what I like about Carrie's performance without getting too distracted here is that it builds. He doesn't start mm-hmm. Looney Tooney. Um, in that, in the opening act, he's an almost realistic, you know, stalker type character right. who's obviously, let's be honest, wants to fuck Bruce Wayne. Yep. And, you know, the film is as, is on point about that as you get away with being in 1995. You know, Joel Schumacher is openly gay. Yep. There's a lot of subtext. But that helps give that film some fucking flair and color. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It gives it personality. Like, I love it. Yeah. And um, I'm just trying to imagine John Malkovich like, riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a very, obviously, it would have been a very different film. The same way that, you know, to a certain extent, the way that Riddler was somewhat tailored to Jim Carrey's persona at yeah. the screen persona at the time, in the same way that, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Mr. Freeze, for better or worse, was very different than, you know, Patrick Stewart. Right. Which, and I don't know how serious that was. That might have just been online fan casting. Well, and there's a world um, where Tommy Lee Jones is a good two face Harvey Dent, but like, yeah. someone needed to tell him to, like, cool it with competing with Jim Carrey like that yeah and that's I think that's a big reason why they why they didn't get along on that set because Jones I think was directed to do what Carrey was already doing well and it's like this isn't my thing it's not the character Um, and it's funny because I figured when they brought Two-Face into the picture 
that they would use the former friendship between Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent as a way to make Bruce Wayne slightly more sympathetic and relatable after right. his somewhat comparatively off-putting work in Batman Returns, but whatever. Yeah. So that's us picking up from talking a lot about Batman last week. We talk a lot about Batman. Batman all the time. They're very... I mean, those four films were the, you know, James Bond and Star they Wars were. of their era. They were. They were. And I I enjoyed every second of going to them and being a huge Bat fan and getting cups from Taco Bell and toys and comics and stuff. And, you know, going through the Nightfall era as the big screens doing stuff and being excited that Dick Grayson was going to be in the uh, the Tim Drake looking outfit of Robin yes. on the big screen. is That was... A moment, and to this day, I'm always annoyed, and I, I get turning him into "quote unquote" Nightwing early into Batman and Robin. That's not you know whatever, but we really never got a single scene of Batman and Robin fighting bad guys together. No, because Man. in the climax of the film, they're separated pretty quickly. Yeah, um, but whatever. This is a thirty-year-old pet peeve, right? Um, um, so yeah, so that's. The, Bur- the movies that Burton didn't touch, uh, well, but he had his name on one of them. Um, so he he leaves Mary Riley, but at the same time, he was producing a film uh, about the life and times of Ed Wood, which he would um, want to fast track himself. Uh, and the director of it, uh, he had the director of Heather's, and uh, what was his name? Lehman? Lehman? Something like that? I believe um, so. But he couldn't get like he was having he had a scheduling conflict with uh he was directing airheads at the time and so burton came on to do it himself so our next film today ed wood from touchstone pictures you flying saucer critics are calling ed wood one of the year's funniest films it's science fiction a heartbreaking romance it's a supernatural thriller rolling stone says johnny depp is terrific in a hilarious performance all right everybody let's finish this picture martin landau is a sure thing oscar nominee my name is Peter lugosi it's tim burton's most provocative film do you reject satan and all his evils sure ed wood rated r now playing in select theaters which is also written by Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski from a book by Rudolph Gray called Nightmare of Ecstasy, starring Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Patricia Arquette, Jeffrey Jones, Lisa Marie, Vincent D'Onofrio, Bill Murray, Mike Starr, Max Casella, G.D. Spradlin, and Juliet Landau. Is, Is Jeffrey Jones in the running for most Burton movies so far? Quite possibly. Um, um, so far, it's got to be because I mean, he was in Peter Juicy's. What am I missing? Was he in Edward Scissor? No, he was in Frankenweenie, right? Uh, no, 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 there no, was a I'm... character in that that I said Jeffrey Jones. If if he'd have oh, Jeffrey right. Jones at the time he played, so he's in Beetlejuice. He's in. Oh, he didn't show up in Scissor Hands, did he? No, I think he's it's only two. So this is two, but he'll be in more tonight. Yeah, this is not his last stand tonight. Um. But yeah, so you know, we we've already talked about problematic figures, jo- you know, Johnny, you know, the Johnny Depp this podcast thing. is full of them. The 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 <laughs> Jeffrey Jones, we don't have any more that have appeared recently that are in this movie, right? Sorry. Oh mm. no, that's recent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've all known. I mean, it's it's I'm, been, yeah. I mean, anyone that paid attention to the first Charlie's Angels. 
I mean, you know, Lucy, hashtag Lucy Lou was right. Well, we went um, from going, oh, that girl can't take a joke to, oh, wait. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, we I were figured shitheads. the fact that they replaced him, rather, you know, as, as cruel and mercenary as it sounds, the yeah. fact that they replaced him and not her for the sequel meant that he clearly ruffled wow. some feathers in a bad way. And he also had a thing where he didn't do sequels. Uh, unless they're Garfield or Ghostbusters, so there unless he wants to too. sabotage the, uh, Paul Feig's Ghostbusters, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. so yeah, this movie's about ambitious but troubled movie director Ed Edward D. Wood Jr., who tries his best to fulfill his dreams despite his lack of talent. Notable here, music by Howard Shore, not Danny Elfman, who they had conflicts on Batman Returns and Nightmare Before Christmas. So. Tim's like, I'm going to go in a different direction. And you know what? Doesn't miss a beat for a sound like that sounds like a Tim Burton movie. And also mixing with an Ed Wood movie. Doesn't miss a beat. And there's choices I absolutely love by Shore in this that I don't think Elfman would have gone to places. Unless they were picked by Burton to do. But uh, I'm talking about like the Lugosi going with the Swan Lake stuff. Yes. Um, and there's the theme from Glenn and Glenda that goes with, uh, but I don't think Elfman at this stage of career would have been reprising stuff. And so. I don't think it's a controversial slash hot take to suggest this might be his best movie. Um, Tim Burton. Yeah. Oh, oh. I mean, this is certainly his first film that got universally rave reviews, even from critics like Roger Ebert that wasn't, mm-hmm. who, you know, and I, this isn't a criticism, wasn't a huge fan of most Tim Burton movies. He gave the, you know, he wasn't big on Edward Scissorhands for some of the same reasons I don't love it as much as other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not big on the first two Batman films or any of the first four Batman films. Yeah. Um, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But you know, Ed Wood was just such a spectacular artistic achievement. Even if it, you know, it, skipping ahead a little bit, it turned out to be his first super duper flop. Even though, I mean, even, again, it, it's and I'm as guilty of this as anyone. You know, the kind of films that used to be successful, blah blah blah. But you know, I I remember in 1994 when nobody showed up to Quiz Show and nobody right. showed up to Ed Wood and very few people showed up to Shawshank Redemption. You know, it's it's the idea of those kind of films struggling in theaters while everyone goes to see the quote unquote big movies. That's not a new problem. Now, things have changed in terms of what is a big movie and what the audience that still exists for everything else happens to be. I think that that pie has gotten smaller and smaller because of streaming. Right. Forrest Gump wouldn't be a gigantic movie now. Forrest Gump would have crawled to 100 million worldwide. We'd be grateful. Yeah. Um, rather than being the movie of this year that yeah this i mean this is a big so i mean yeah ed wood uh this is i mean other movies he had like design um oscar production design stuff uh but but this one really probably had somewhat of an oscar push although it was a stacked year uh but it it went two for two uh uh, (laughs) with best makeup for rick baker and best supporting actor for martin landau uh for portraying bella lugosi which is the first time someone has won an oscar for playing somebody who was in the movie business so um, i did not know that yeah uh and the funny thing is rick baker's like took the job knowing Landau was cast as Lugosi because he didn't think he looked like Lugosi. So he wanted him to look like Lugosi. So in doing so, 
the tandem got an Oscar for each other. Um, there you go. But yeah, this um, is definitely. I think yeah, this is not my. I'm like, oh God, it's hard to say because I love a lot of Tim Burton's works, especially in this period. To say like, well, it's not my favorite. It was best, but might not be my favorite. But it might be my fair. favorite. But Batman, I loved. <laughs> but no, so it's it's weird. This is a great movie. This that's the hands down t- a, a Tim Burton masterpiece. Um, and I also it's my personal favorite performance from Johnny Depp as well. Mm-hmm. This is a wild. Uh, this is him taking his goofiness while adding slight dramatic chops that you wouldn't expect in such a big performance like this. Oh, it's it's a full blooded, nothing left on the table acting tour de force. Mm-hmm. And again, we, without getting into his off screen behavior transgressions, call him whatever you want. I've always felt that as an actor, we've gotten to the point where I would argue that Johnny Depp is underrated. Yep. In that, I think. Too many people in the quote unquote critical establishment think, oh, it's a funny hat or it's goofy makeup. Yeah. Or it's like, no, he's oh, he's still making choices. He's still we got oversaturated specific. in Johnny yeah, Depp for the, the 20 and the OOs. We got so much Johnny Depp, so much. They'll like he started, you know, doing wild stuff. He got to do stuff with Burton all the time. Um, yeah. He wasn't, they, you know, we'll, we'll talk about another movie later today that he was not wanted for. Um, but he just, he was always good. Like I always, I always like was interested. It was movies like this and stuff that I was like, he was that. If you didn't, if you were that guy who didn't pay attention to a lot of movies, he might have been a pretty face person that I didn't think much of. But if you watch the movies, you're like, this guy, this guy's really good. He'll transform himself. And normally the pretty face guys didn't. Later, like I was wrong. I'm like, like a Brad Pitt when I saw Seven. I was like, oh crap, maybe I should pay attention to this guy. Well, he was just getting started. So him you and, were all, you were yeah, early. Right. Him and Paltrow. I was like, wow, I can't believe those two who are like magazine celebrities would do a movie like this. This is insane. So I started yeah. gaining respect for them. <laughs> you know, in a, when you're a teen, you have a different taste in movie when you're coming up, like what cool movies are and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, here, Depp's big, larger than life. And everybody here in this movie, and Burton too, respects and enjoys these people and the humor just comes because you see the era what they did and stuff it's not there no one's poking fun at everybody and yeah but, i mean it, it's it's a knowing loving comedy yeah and the, the text subtext whatever you want to call it is just you know making movies is so fucking hard yeah that to even make a movie even one of the worst movies ever made is a miracle yeah. unto itself yeah, especially in these you know pre-digital areas where you can't just shoot something on your cell phone and sell it to Lionsgate for ten bucks for DVD. Well, um, and, and also to show that <clears throat> even people who make movies you consider bad or whatever are passionate about it. They're still visionaries. They're still people yes. trying to make trying to make a good movie. They still maybe can talk about movies really well. The one thing that uh, struck Burton in depth with this movie that they loved about Ed Wood because it was culminated from reading letters of his um is how they got the thing is that this guy really thought he was making like citizen kane every time he went out to make plan nines glenn or glenda bride of the atom orgy of the dead those movies like they really he really thought he was making a difference he was making those big films and he was a guy that you could say early on took genre films seriously he cared about them they weren't trash to him they were i mean yeah, I, mean, I think that's, you know, for better or worse, I think that's partially how he got the moniker of the worst director who ever lived. 
you know, he wasn't the only guy that made Z-grade science fiction films right. in that era, but his films had a certain sincerity. And I mean, this comparison is going to sound insane, so forgive me, but basically Plan 9 from Outer Space is Terminator 2 in that it's yeah. a big, flashy sci-fi adventure that's all about, dear God, humanity's going to blow themselves up. How do we stop this? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and he's got oh. his his little troop of people that go with him film to film and yeah, and the, and the movie doesn't shy away from showing him on hard times. It's part mm-hmm. of the thing with it. And like he, and it's also very it's personal to Burton because he modeled the Lugosi and Wood relationship off his own with Vincent Price where he yeah. met Vincent Price towards the time where Vincent Price was just introducing his movies on public access. Um, and he's like, you're a major star. Like, that's how you feel with some of these people that, um, and they need it too, the, the watch because it's not like they just get left behind. Uh, it's not like they're bad actors anymore or something like that. But the, the Lugosi stuff's sincerely tragic here. And Landau is subhuman to where you just believe you're watching Lugosi. Like it's yeah. so good. It is a transformative performance mm-hmm. and it's, you know, I, I, whether I would have voted for Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction that year or not is, you know, it's one of those two because they're mm-hmm. both just fantastic performances. Yeah, like it's a stacked um, year at the Oscars. It's 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 just it's a it's stab insane. Insane. offhand. Nineteen ninety four may have been like exception maybe nineteen ninety nine is probably the best year of the nineties for mainstream or just below the mainstream theatrical cinema. Yeah. Um but um I mean, when a when a popcorn picture as good as Clear and Present Danger barely mm-hmm. cracks the top ten, um, right. and today that movie would have swept the Oscars. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just went to see it for fun. Yeah, <laughs> back in the day, it didn't have um, to change the world. But but as far as Ed Wood goes, I mean, you know, obviously the black and white cinematography is gorgeous and it, it perfectly it, captures the era. He wound up at Disney because they would they were gonna let they let him shoot black away because this was at Sony and Columbia Pictures, and they were like no deal. Went to turn around, and then Disney picked it up, put it under touchdown. So and once again, he fails at <laughs> Disney, but it's <laughs> maybe his his best. Oh, you could it's arguably his best film. Yeah, and well, you know, they they were Disney, which I mean, Disney wasn't. Well, no, because this was during the Katzenberg Renaissance, and they were actually doing mm-hmm. pretty well because they could afford to take a bath because this movie was never going to be a hit. Yeah, and I saw it on opening weekend with my aunt and uncle, and I had no idea what they were in for. They, 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 they were sort of taken aback. Gotcha. They weren't offended or anything, but it wasn't you know the kind of thing they would have seen of their own accord. Yeah, I didn't get to um, see it till VHS, so yeah. uh, it was kind of a un, like. Nobody, nobody was talking about Ed Wood back then. It was a, it was an underground cult movie of Tim Burton. Yeah, but the only reason I knew about it because I, you know, I, I was reading Edge Weekly. I was following Tim Burton's career, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's 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 hard to be too upset about it when you know this was right around the time that Pulp Fiction was kicking ass, right? Um, right. Well, and it, that was the film that topped the box office on the opening weekend of its uh, of Pulp Fiction and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah. Which I think we all thought incorrectly was going to top the box office that weekend. Yeah. Um, to be fair, I think it was a you know a Saw Six scenario where you had a spectacular entry after two comparatively subpar sequels. Well, and the last one saying you killed him. That too, <laughs> you know, like it's as it happened. Um, and you know, this one Burton also said he he liked be, and he he liked the quicker shoot and stuff because and the script because he wanted to be a 
more character driven film and less mm-hmm. style driven but i'm like do you just like fart mona lisa's because geez <laughs> well when i was oozing quote, unquote, style. growing up the, the the conventional wisdom and even burton would admit this was that you know the production values were you know production was astonishing the art direction was incredible but he was not good at telling a story mm-hmm. and i think there's some truth to that i mean i love batman but it really has no plot it just sort of you know goes from a to b to c and you know it's i think i think ed wood by default was an attempt by him to make a more you know story and character driven picture mm-hmm. and it's also obviously the first film he's made which represents the kind of film that does get good reviews um i don't know whether disney saw it as an oscar contender or not at the time mm-hmm. other than landau cuz he was they were talking about him from the beginning and you know not to skip ahead but it was his first flop it yeah. opened to like one and a half million dollars and it it I don't actually have the box office in front of me because I know it did terribly. <laughs> well, we, I mean, we can we can move into that portion of this while still talking about it since you brought it up. And what I, one of the things I like about the film, especially in retrospect, is that it's very empathetic to all of its characters. Mm-hmm. You know, even Sarah Jessica Parker's character, who not, you know, understandably is taken aback by both the films that he makes and the reveal that he likes to dress in women's clothing. Um, and her disapproval is not scored. She is not treated as a, a harpy or picture cliche. Right. And obviously Patricia Arquette is presented as the more appropriate woman for him or whatever, but it's not a virgin or dynamic. Right. Uh, the, the, the real life Dolores Fuller didn't like her. She liked the rest of the movie, but didn't like her portrayal, but by Sarah Jessica Parker, I think changes there are needed for the drama of it. Uh, but like, she said she was much more supportive of everything than the movie let on. And that is fair. And yeah. And I, I don't, again, do I don't know how much, Oh, I know some of it's not true. I mean, there wasn't, mm-hmm. let me put this way. Plan that runner's face did not get a ritzy glitzy giant premiere. No. Um, he died penniless and alcoholic and mostly alone. Right. But the, the, and Tim Burton, not shy about saying he changed it. He's, he yeah. said, I, I wanted to tell the movie through Ed Wood's eyes. So everything yes. is positive. Everything's bigger than it's supposed to be. Everything's more magical than it, than it should. But there's, there's movements where he cracks. There's moments mm-hmm. where you see in his fate when Lugosi gets the call about Bella Lugosi. It's yeah heartbreaking when he gets bad news about things. He, you have a quick moment from Depp where he gives an honest reaction, but he's like, I have to put on face for my people. We have to stay positive. And, and yeah, if the movie's a lie, it's because Ed Wood would try to make it like that. And um, of course, you know, the big emotional climax is when he runs into uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's Orson Welles in a cafe. Mm-hmm. And again, did that happen? I'm sure it did not, but I don't care because it's perfect for the movie. But I mean, living in living in Los Angeles and stuff, and coming up trying to be a part of the entertainment industry and around the people you are, there's things he says in here that resonate throughout time, where he's like, "Man, oh, Wells made Citizen Kane at age this, and I'm this," and I'm like, "You yeah. hear that from so many actors, so many oh, yeah. writers, so many directors out there that it's like, just get your thing done." And you know, some people don't make a nice career till 45, and then they. Smooth sailing, like yeah. I mean, Alan Rickman's first, what was he, forty six when he made Die Hard or yeah, something like that. Like, I mean, granted, that's an exception to the rule, and I, you know, so be it. But you know, yeah, it's 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 
when in, in life in general, there's always a feeling that the older you get, there's like, uh oh, I missed my chance to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's unfortunately part of the aging process when you realize that you know, you. I remember the first time I watched the MTV Movie Awards, and I felt these people are all younger than me, and I, I don't relate to this anymore. Yeah, this is no longer aspirational because I'm already past the point where I could actually fantasize about growing up and doing this. Right. Right. And obviously, you know, we're we're almost we're almost at the age where there are presidents that were younger than us. Not quite. The right. Mike Kennedy, I'm not sure. But no, that that's certainly something that's that's relatable to any and all trades. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is probably one of the best movies ever made about making movies, partially yeah. because it's such a te- you know again it's such a, a celebration of a testament to the craft and the work and the failure. That goes into even the most successful picture. Yeah. And yeah. as well as the triumphs that go into some of the worst movies ever made. Right. And I've always felt, and, you know, one of my favorite commentary tracks that I've ever listened to was for Frank Miller's The Spirit. Now, Frank Miller's The Spirit is a very bad film. I'm yeah. not going to pretend that it's not. But I think that commentary track is very educational in terms of the understanding that even films that really don't work at all, there's still a thousand intentional, purposeful, artistic choices that go Mm -hmm. into every moment of even the most disposable picture. And that very little that happens on screen is by accident. Very little that is omitted from the Mm -hmm. screen is done so by accident. And I think without getting, you know, without whining about the online discourse, I do think there is a facet of of criticism that seems to think that movies are borderline accidental. Yeah. Yeah. Or that people make bad choices. Like it's not, you have no idea until you've worked on one till like, it's not easy. And it's not like even people who get a bad or movies not reviewed or it turns up. I'm like, you got a movie made like, yeah. It's amazing like just that's incredible you brought all these people it worked you got it made um will always be there and then there are some movies that are so bad that i think of that jared leto line from lord of war which is maybe doing better doing nothing is better than doing this <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> yeah uh but you know this yeah this one it, it, the, I think the thing is, it is an A to B to C biopic type thing, but it picks the window of him making those first couple films to focus on everything. So I don't think it's yeah, it's not a cradle to grave. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's, yeah, it's not that. I don't think it is, and it's heavily stylized and makes the A to B to C interesting because it goes in ways you don't expect. It it's funny and it's just got such great character work. Uh, for even the littlest people have so much to bring. They have good vibes, even if there's not any depth to it. You just kind of like everybody feels as into it as their characters are in the movie. You feel the people making this movie are just there uh, like that as well. Now, let's shoot this fucker. Pull the string. <laughs> Pull the string. So, yeah, this movie's great. Um, it's uh, Tim's first time going rated R. Mm-hmm. And. One of my favorite, it's such a weird specific moment that I think is just one of my f- favorite funny parts in a movie of all time is when Bill Murray gets baptized in that pool and he can't swim or something and he dunks him and he's like, and he, his reaction 
to just the simple baptism in the pool gets me every time. I just, it's the way he plays that is just, it's good. It's good. Um, but yeah, I just, yeah, this movie, I can't recommend highly enough. Um, tends to be hard to find sometimes, oddly enough. I own it on physical, so that's yeah. not a problem for me. I own it. I own it on Blu-ray myself. But it's taken. <laughs> lo- it's been a movie. It took a long time to get to DVD, and it took a long time to get to Blu-ray. And it's not on 4K yes. yet. So it's yeah, it's one that takes a bit. Um, um, because of the box office. Yeah, I mean, it made five and a half million dollars domestic, and that was about it on an eighteen budget. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Which, you know, again, it was Burton's first flop. Mm-hmm. To be fair, it also got the best reviews of his career. Unfortunately, he would go 0 for 2 in our next movie. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll close the book on Ed Wood. Maybe the highest of recommends of any of the films we talk about here, if you haven't seen any, or if it's still a cult classic type movie. Um, but uh, we'll I mean, go... I think people listening to a seven-part podcast about Tim Burton have seen Ed Wood. That so. being said, you've definitely seen Batman and Batman Returns. Yes. So go see Ed Wood. Go see Ed Wood. <laughs> our, our next film is Mars Attacks. Or should I say Mars Attacks? <laughs> got an exclamation point. What do we know about them? We know they're extremely advanced technologically, which suggests that they're peaceful. <laughs> I want the people to know that they still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. See the biggest cast on the planet while it's still here. Whoa, Mars Attacks, directed by Tim Burton, starts Friday, December 13th at a theater near you. He wrote uh, this one with Jonathan Gems based on the 1962 trading card series by Len Brown, Woody Gelman, Wally Wood, Bob Powell, and Norman Saunders. Starring Jack Nicholson, Glenn Close, Annette Bening, Pierce Brosnan, Danny DeVito, Martin Short, Sarah Jessica Parker, Michael J. Fox, Rod Steiger, Tom Jones, Lucas Haas, Natalie Portman, Jim Brown, Lisa Marie, Sylvia Sidney, Paul Winfield, Pam Greer, Jack Black, Ray J., Joe Don Baker, Christina Applegate, and uh, vocals from Frank Welker. Earth is invaded by Martians with unbeatable weapons and a cruel sense of humor. Scott, I forgot at the top that this episode could also be subtitled The Lisa Marie Era because... (laughs) Yeah, She's in all four films today and then nothing Mm -hmm. else. This uh, Mars Attacks, so up front here, uh, Danny Elfman returns. Uh, They they mended fences. Uh, I did a full episode in my old podcast called Cinema Cavalcade with... Friend of this show, Aaron Newworth, uh, talking Mars Attacks. We did that. Why the fuck wasn't I invited, that Brandon? That was like seven years ago. Uh, you're on the I've better. I've known you for a lot more than seven the, years. You're on the better <laughs> conversation because Aaron picked that one, I believe. Um, no, I'm just giving you shit. <laughs> you're on the better conversation about it. So uh, seven years ago. So if you want a, a longer conversation about Mars Attacks uh, with me, Aaron, and then some other dude, uh, yes. Um, so... Uh, Based off trading cards, this is like Garbage Pail Kids, the movie, right? Um, <laughs> Except $80 million. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Tim Burton, he tries out for a CG thing, originally intended to be stop motion, but the budget kept cutting down. I think, though, because of the very comic booky 
cartoonish nature, the mid nineties early CG is tolerable because it's going for that sixties kind of look and not some like this is real life aesthetic. So no, but I, he said I he really no go ahead, I'm sorry. He, he said he wanted to make the special effects look cheap and purposely fake looking as possible. So mission accomplished. Um, no, I really enjoy the special effects work in this picture. Yeah. I did when I was 16. I, I still do. And again, there is a certain intentional artificiality that I think serves it very well. You know, these these cartoonish movie stars are playing characters who are being attacked by literal cartoons. Right. When I saw the film, when I first saw the film when I was 16, I felt like it was a very good, very sharp satire of what was then the modern blockbuster template. Mm-hmm. The problem was the film had come out just after a very good summer movie season. So there really wasn't anything to make fun of. Which, Independence it, Day was well, good. I Whister think, was good. Mission Impossible was good, et cetera, et cetera. I think part of the problem was this movie went, so this movie went into production before Independence Day. This had been around since like the late 80s, went through different hands before it got to Burton. Um, I, or no, even in the early 80s, like Alex Cox, I think was going to, is it this one? I think, or something like this. Well, this was the script was written. It was shooting. They had no idea what Independence Day was, and then it was meant for a summer release. But then it comes out in December, and it looks like marketing wise, it looks like they cobbled up together some quick celebrity filled parody of Independence Day, and it's not that though. It has some same beats, but that's due to like just any kind of disaster movie type thing and i think public reception wise how many people went going thinking they were seeing a parody of independence day and it's not that at all also i mean there was plenty of marketing by the end but we didn't even get a trailer for this picture until the opening weekend of Space Jam was just, which was just over a month after this, before this film's opening weekend. That was mid-November of two of nineteen ninety-six. There was a sneak preview over Thanksgiving weekend, which mm-hmm. I attended. So you know, basically, he went from a trailer two weeks later, a sneak preview, and then two weeks later, the film's wide release. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be fair, I mean, I'm not going to pick on thirty-year-old marketing, but there were plenty of previews and TV spots and all that jazz. But yet um but this was a lightning fast campaign and it wasn't uh, a very good trailers at all no either. it was no. i mean i was looking forward to the film because i liked everybody was in it i liked yep. tim burton um i liked the ideas and i liked the movie i still do you know when i was 16 years old i thought it was hysterical i i relished how macabre and ghoulish and mean it was um the last time before this, the last time I watched it was probably about 10 years ago, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what stood out is that intentionally or not, and I'm going to assume unintentionally, it almost feels like a very conservative satire of liberalism. In the idea there, yeah, that, yeah, I get that. You know, that, that, that Rod Steiger, you know, a lot of the characters are reacting to this clearly malevolent alien menace in the way that, in the mind of a conservative, you know, the liberals and Democrats would have acted to Al-Qaeda after 9-11. Like, oh, you know, they maybe don't mean harm. We can coddle them and treat them, give them diplomacy. And even though they keep, you know, blowing us up again and again and again. Um, there is a certain, you know, big Hollywood 
a, a daily caller mentality that mm-hmm. again i don't think it's intentional but it's interesting maybe it is i don't know what the writer's politics are no that's not my concern um yeah, but even that, I mean, it's it's still a very funny movie. The trailer did and, pick pick a good line. I I to throw. In. I always love the uh, Nicholson. Uh, I want the people oh, to know they still have two out of three branches of the government working for them, and that ain't bad. And yes, it, it delivers. Like Nicholson's delivery, I was like, that was a good one. And there's a certain hotspot to make a movie with a cast this big, where the mm-hmm. where the two leading heroes are Pam Greer and Jim Brown, right. Um, which even then I was like, well, that's refreshing and interesting. And again, this was just six months after, you know, Independence Day had become a big hit partially because it cast a guy like Will Smith alongside a guy like Jeff Goldblum. You know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, that was a very Clintonian, what we hope America is and can be type action fantasy yeah. where, you know, a black man, a baby boomer and a waspy Jew team up to save the day Yeah, with the help of a sympathetic trailer trash guy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um. Yeah. No. This cast, like, uh, we got Burton players returning. We got Nicholson, Sarah Jessica Parker, Lisa Marie, Sylvia Sidney, Danny Elfman, Danny DeVito, Joseph Marr, Olan Jones, and Annette Bening, kind of, because she was supposed to be in Batman Returns, but <laughs> she gets this one. But um, I've Pierce Brosnan, brilliant. He's, yeah, he's very good in this. A lot of the stars are just there. They're kind of like where the key joke is, hey, like, look, it's Michael J. Fox. Yeah, or, yeah. Hey, look, it's, you know, Day DeVito. Or, uh, I think uh, Brosnan yeah. is doing something interesting. I think. We still don't know how to use Martin Short properly. Uh, no. <laughs> um, well, so like Brosnan, though, he's playing this well, even wonderful there, I mean, throwback. What? No, go ahead. I'm, I apologize. Well, no, even Martin Short gets into this giant protracted subplot that was supposed to be making fun of Dick Morris, who was a Clinton aide at the time mm. that got caught in a sex scandal. Gotcha. Um, um, now he's sense. an asshole conservative, but whatever. Uh, well, so Pierce Brosnan, I like because he's wonderfully fulfilling the throwback hunk scientist guy in these movies that from the radioactive ones that like nobody buys this guy at all, but like he's. <laughs> He's doing it so well. Like he's the way he presents his bullshit science and stuff. Like, and, and trying to be hunky at the same time. Like, it, it's like natural and seamless in a way that I'm not sure many other like handsome actors could have. Like, I don't think a Baldwin would have been too obvious doing it. Um, but yeah, I liked him here. Uh, Nicholson getting to play two roles. Uh, the president and as um, Art Land from Vegas, who's like Jack Nicholson's Beetlejuice, pretty much. Like, it's yeah. really bizarre how Beetlejuicy it is. <laughs> and apparently it was intended for Michael Keaton, that role. But I, oh, I don't know if that's bullshit or not. But um, I, I, I think so many of the big stars are so cartoonishly over the top that mm-hmm. in a skewed way, I, you know, and I think this is how the movie's supposed to be, you are drawn to the slightly more level-headed characters, be it Lucas Haas, Natalie Portman, mm-hmm. Jim Brown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Natalie Portman, I mean, for the record, I was 16 when I saw this. And yes, that, this was the movie that gave that started my massive lifelong crush on Oh, Natalie yeah. Portman. We all had that. We all had, yep. <laughs> Once again, I'd like to reiterate, I was 16 when this movie came out. We are of her is. age. We're in her generation. Yes. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but anyway, and obviously you have Jack Black before he was even remotely a name. 
Perfect um, casting to be the son of Joe Don Baker. Yeah, like that's yeah. Br- oh, that's, God. that's perfect. And um, you know, as a movie now, it's sort of like it's so. It's basically an inside joke. The idea that Burton was so successful and influential and and that he was able to get warner brothers and friends to pony up 80 million dollars for basically a movie that was you know they say right movie you know make art that that appeals to you but like at least from a mainstream point of view it's like who else was this supposed to appeal to right uh, uh i feel the same way about crimson peak which other people like more than i did and that's five that was sort of like also sorry know, pierce brosnan was that crimson peak wait no 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 Gilmore no. uh, del toro's crimson peak Oh, that one. Well, it was Dante's uh, yeah, Peak. I yeah, was Dante's, Dante's Peak. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. I had Brazen on the brain. That's okay. He's a handsome um, man. It's hard to get him out and, of there. And that's another example of, uh, you know, basically a movie that's made only for Del Toro and Del Toro alone. Yeah. Um, which, whatever, that's fine. You you it's hope fun. maybe it starts something. A trend yeah. Yeah. But. Um, my only annoyance was when that film disappointed. It's like, oh, it was Miss Soul. It's really a romance. Like, really? You find out in the first 10 minutes that he's planning on killing her. That's not very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Um, so it's a it's a very interesting next step for Burton, too, because he goes from making Ed Wood the biopic to making like an actual movie Ed Wood might have made had he had a lot of money. Yes. But there's a lot of other influences here, and Burton's into this stuff, but it's just kind of a weird step to go from making the movie about Ed Wood to making a Ed Wood-type movie. Um, <laughs> Between that and M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, which is also, I would argue, an Ed Wood movie played straight, Right. I kind of almost wish war directors would try that. Yeah. Although it, you know, it's not like it ever works, because it's just such a bonkers notion that I can understand why, you know, Nolan's not going to say, yeah, for my next movie, I'm going to make a a relatively grounded real world version of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yeah. Uh, And there's there's some weird repetition for Burton that I don't know if it's intentional or not, but when when Jack Nicholson, there's a scene where he addresses the nation on the TV, and it felt damn mirroring Jack Napier talking about (laughs) Handing the money, I took my mask off. Why don't you take yours? Like I don't know if it's it's just. Well, fact- to be fair, if you have you ever seen Reds? Yes. Oh, I love oh, Reds. Yeah, yeah I I, I saw it later in life. I mean, when I was when we were working in the same building, actually. But having you know watched, I was like, oh, so when Joker is like quiet and contemplative, this is basically his Eugene O'Neill character. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, Reds is great. Um, oh yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of the '80s. I think we've brought that up many times during our recordings. Oh, Reds is good. Reds is. Good. Why don't you guys talk about goddamn Reds? Um, long movie. Even like forty-five, you know, even forty years ago, it was sort of like a movie that you can't imagine getting made. Yeah, Beatty um, got a lot of those done. Yeah, um, a lot of that. Um, but yeah, Nick, uh, Nick, say it with me: the rules don't apply. Right. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, he uh, Nicholson took this. Just Burton give him a call. Hey, I'm doing a movie. I'll do it. You don't want to see the script? Nope. I love you. So he liked working with him on Batman. So he did. Came over here. This I so I'm not that big on this movie, though. I think it's a well done, fascinating, badish movie and yeah. su- super watchable. Because like I don't know if it's a humorless, but. Action in this movie, not 
very not that great. Like the pandemonium's fun to start out with, but then it never pans out or does anything different. It's stales. Well, and that's another thing about quickly. early Burton is that he was a terrible action director. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I love the Batman films as much as anyone does, but they're not particularly successful action adventure pictures. Right. And right. I remember opening night of, well, I guess midnight of Batman Forever. It was sort of a, a jolt to see a Batman that actually, you know, jumped and kicked and did, you know, martial arts and was actually a quote unquote warrior. Right. Um, and part of that was that, you know, the suit couldn't move. Some of the, the other issues there, but even Burton at the time would say, yeah, I'm terrible at directing action. I close my eyes when I hear gunshots. Yeah. Uh- um, yeah, so I'm yeah, so like there's like I want to love this movie. I want to be like, oh, no, it's underappreciated, but I'm like, it's. I it, certainly it, liked it more when I was 16. Gotcha, and that's fine. You know, it's it is what it is. I I it also taught me a very important lesson, which frankly a lot of people today should learn, which is that you know when a film that you are rooting for is a box office failure, that's not a personal commentary on you. Yeah, you don't have to take it fucking personally. Right, exactly. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to like the movie anymore. Right. Uh, and, you know, I. Numbers I was, are numbers. You know, I thought this would be a bigger hit than it was. I figured it was mm-hmm. Burton. It was all these stars and yep. flashing and spectacular. Entertainment Weekly was, was holding up as the big movie of December. To be fair, they were owned by Time Warner. Um, <laughs> and so I, I sort of drank the Kool Aid and I was very disappointed when it performed quite poorly it opened with 9.4 million i think it was in third place behind not just jerry Maguire but 101 dalmatians and it's mm-hmm. third weekend um it was glenn close under the the nancy reagan <laughs> chandelier yeah. which i found hilarious for some reason. oh yeah <laughs> and of course now you know 25 years later jerry Maguire is the kind of movie that god we don't get it you know why doesn't hollywood make this anymore right um and Mars Attacks is exactly the kind of property that, you know, bombed initially, but because it's somewhat resembles a geek-friendly IP, blah, 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 I could absolutely see some stupid streamer trying to make another go of it. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, I do like, like, I mean, he did nail, th- like, those aliens, those come from the cards, but the Lisa Marie, incredibly iconic look in this film instantly. Yes. Like, you feel it's something done before or, like, that you've seen come to life, yet it's a new creation, not based on any of the cards. Like it is very, and she, this, I mean, she didn't speak and everything, but this is a great role. Like she, without speaking is incredible here in this role, um, for a short period of time. Um, but yeah, uh, works perfectly. Um, I does have a, a knee slapper for me where the aliens come to greet and, he says they come in peace, and that little hippie guy goes, they come in peace, and he <laughs> releases the dove before they zap the dove um, and kill everybody. Uh, I believe Sir Roger Ebert, I took a quote from him on this movie. He said, Ed Wood himself could have told us what's wrong with this movie. The makers felt superior to the material. To be funny, even Schlock has to believe in itself. Look for Inframan or Invasion of the B-Girls, and you will find movies that lack stars and big budgets and fancy special effects, but are funny and fun in a way that Burton mega produ- Burton's mega production never really understands. I cannot disagree, even though I enjoy the film, yep. and I always have, I cannot disagree with yep, that. Yep, I felt the same way. I was there like, is a certain smarminess. Yeah, I'm like, that's what he should have learned from the previous movie he did, <laughs> and it didn't work out. Um, so, so 
Scott. And, you know, oh. again, comparatively speaking, I'm going to say what you will about the happening, but it's entirely sincere. Right. True. Um, True. No snark. That's um, a film that I think is aged glib. very well, just by virtue of being its own bonkers bananas. What the hell is this kind of thing? Yeah. In a world of more homogenized IP nostalgia franchise bait. Chan- uh, chances and sloppiness are underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but- the film did 37, 38 million domestic, 63.6 worldwide, just over 100 million, but on an 80 budget. It was a spectacular failure. Oh, boy. And after the divisive reception of Batman Returns, the commercial failure of Ed Wood, and the both critical and commercial failure of Mars Attacks, Burton was kind of backed into a corner. If his next film wasn't a hit, he could be finished as a major Hollywood director. Right. (laughs) Oh, he's white, Scott. He's good. Um, No, uh, it's funny because he went, you know, after Batman Returns, he goes small. Like he goes mm-hmm. tired, like he's going to start again. And then he goes, that doesn't do well. And he goes bigger. And that it's, it's, it's kind of a weird, you would think like, oh, like Kevin Smith, he, he had clerks. Um, and, you know, that was that big hit indie film. He goes to do a bigger one, Mall Rats, huge bomb. And so he goes back to the well of uh, chasing Amy and gets the you know, cred and, and like any awards and uh, good reviews to go, we can do dogma now. Um, and, uh, for that, well, but Burton, like it's just failing, but, um, we'll see what he tries next time with sleepy hollow. Three persons murder taken by the headless horseman, taken back to hell. There is no horseman. Never was a horseman. Never will be a horseman. Heads will roll. Sleepy Hollow. Now playing in theaters everywhere. Written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who crafted the story with Kevin Yeager from Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, starring Johnny Depp. Not Brad Pitt, which is what the studio wanted. Brad Pitt and someone else. Uh, I can't remember. Uh... Johnny Depp, Christina Ricci, Miranda Richardson, Michael Gambon, Casper Van Dien, Jeffrey Jones is back, (laughs) Uh, Richard Griffiths, Ian McDermott, Michael Goff, Christopher Walken, Mark Pickering, Lisa Marie, Alan Armstrong, Jessica Aliallo, and Christopher Lee. Ichabod Crane is sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate the decapitations of three people, with the culprit being the legendary apparition, the Headless Horseman. Reading that off IMDb. Was that for I did, I grab them from <laughs> other place. I like that. Dick. I did probably. Um, yeah, I'm reading it right now in front. Okay, of Okay, that's where I got that one from. <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes they come from Pedias. Sometimes I do not sit and write because no, I no. I don't need to use brain because that's dumb. So, Scott, if North by Northwest is dubbed Ultimate Hitchcock. Then I dub Sleepy Hollow Ultimate Burton. Yes, I agree. It may not, may not be my favorite Tim Burton film. It may not be the best Tim Burton film, but it may be the most Tim Burton film. This is like everything at full strength. What he's done before, doing now, like his stylistic choices, everything he's learned, it's here. I think, and while I'll agree with you, it might not be my favorite movie, might not be his best. I think it might be a perfect movie, though. Like everything works for me. Yeah, Start it's to it's, finish, it's, it's Tim Burton's Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo is not my favorite Pixar movie, but it is 
the definitive in my opinion is it's still the definitive Pixar picture. Yeah. Um, and this was a film, you know, again, I mean, even, you know, his career was literally on the line here. And I remember reading that, you know, they wanted Brad Pitt, but he said no and got Johnny mm-hmm. Depp. I was like, no, get Brad Pitt. He could actually open a movie. Um, and either he was giving it his all because he knew this was his last chance or he thought might as well go out and give it, leave it all on the table. No, leave nothing on the table. If I don't have success, heads will roll. Yes. Um, which this is funny because this is a project that started way before him. And I feel kind of Kevin Yeager was supposed to direct this. Uh, it was a slasher film. Um, supposed to come out back in like 1992 or 93 uh, from Andrew Kevin Walker uh, and Ke- him and Kevin Yeager were going to do it and people were passing on it because they didn't want a period piece slasher and then Seven did well so they're like what do you got Andrew Kevin Walker it looks like you got another horror thing and they didn't believe in y- it went by and they didn't. They wanted to make it not low budget and so then they didn't trust Kevin Yeager so he got pushed back to like makeup department and effects like i'd have just left the damn movie you know because he didn't write it but he got writing credit because of his involvement for so long but uh burton got brought in to direct it um and it probably took on a life of its own that was more tim burton's than it would ever oh, was yeah i mean you know kevin walker's. when we talk about how a lot of most tim burton movies are basically tim burton doing a riff on xyz i mean mm-hmm. this is this is, is fucking sleeping all over the nutshell. Right, it I mean, is. It, it comes perilously close to self sat, perilously close to self satire. It is Winona Ryder shy of. You've seen a Ricci there, but if Winona Ryder would have been in that role, like it, whole crap, it would have been, it would have been oh. even more ultimate. But I, I was this guy, so I like Seven a lot when I saw it back, and I was like, who is this Andrew Kevin Walker? I'm crediting this man with a lot of the success here. I, so I was like, oh, man, I have to see this. Him and Burton together? Oh, man, Johnny Depp. I, I was really excited for this movie. And then it delivered. So that was even better. Um, I uh, saw this one on opening night in a packed Regal Cinema on my college campus. Um, and Okay, Liam Neeson was the other one they wanted for um, Pick Up by Crane for this Really? Movie. Yeah, Ian, uh, Brad Pitt, Liam Neeson, and <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. Hey, if you can get Daniel Day Lewis, get Daniel Day Lewis. Um, that would have been fascinating. Um, but yeah, and the film went over like gangbusters on the audience. Mm-hmm. The scene where Casper Van Dien gets chopped in half, the halfway mark, the entire audience roared with applause. Right. Uh, um, it, it, it was weird because I never expect like because he was like a guy they were putting in stuff that people are like, please don't make this a thing, right? That was why we yeah. cheered. It seemed subtextual, like, you know, rooting for him to get it, you know, the the jock bully played by the guy that, that you know, we're trying to make him a star, but he looks like the guy that took your lunch money and stole your girl. Yeah, and, and slash you know, your tires and you're yeah. like, why? And again, to be fair, in, in Starship Troopers, that was somewhat intentional. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but, well, it, it follows so like the it's a trade off because he does that after like the headless horseman takes a child's head, yes, in a clever way. And then, yeah, I remember when he got ripped in half, I was like, Holy, sh- I expected yeah. him to be around toward the end of the movie. Um, and yeah, that's another thing. This is a horror film where a child is killed, 
mm-hmm. uh, very discreetly. But I remember Burton said in the commentary that it's like, you know, when he was a kid and he was watching these movies, he always felt kind of like, oh, I, you know, being literally treated with kid gloves. The idea that, you know, just because you're a kid in one of these movies shouldn't mean you have plot armor. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my words, not his. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was an attempt to say, no, no, no. He's in just as much danger as everybody else. Um, and it's funny. This is one of those films that were like in the press, like, oh, we were trying for a PG 13. I can't believe we got an R rating. Mm-hmm. And then when you watch the movie, you're like, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. What on earth made you think this was going to be a PG 13? Right. Yeah. with Air Force One, you know, with Harrison Force, like, oh, we tried to get a PG 13. It was like, Re- really? Yeah. It was. Was there like I mean, a magic tools to take out all the blood and gore? There's a running gag of blood incredible. splattering his face. Like yeah. what in what world? And it's very colorful. It's very humorous violence. It's yeah. very, you know, the, I like that they used, you know, 1970s blood basically. Yeah. Um, and this is a film that is very dark and shrouded in gray. Mm-hmm. But unlike a lot of modern productions, you can actually see what the hell's going on. You can see it. It's it's stylish. It's not just a sepia tone filter. Like everything's built um, and shot around that. It's a love letter to the Hammer movies because um, they're all I, in it. There, <laughs> well, there, there's people in it, and there's establishing shots that are straight out of Hammer movies that they don't. That doesn't get you. That didn't get you. Still didn't get used today, and it didn't get used after the '70s. But it's here. It's specific. He knows what he's doing. Um, and it's great. Uh, and then, yeah, you said, like, we have Christopher Lee here. We have Michael Goff here. But he just pads it with other veteran old actors that weren't even hammered. Like, Ian McDermott, like, oh, he's playing the Emperor again. Let's get him another movie. Like, he was, he finished shooting The Phantom Menace and just hung out and then shot, because they shot him in the same place. They shot Sleepy Hollow. Um, but it uh, it's great. Like, Michael Gambon here, pre-Dumbledore. Uh, it's just it's beautiful like the blood it's, and yeah it's a murderer's row and i think it's cool because hammer never made a they made werewolf mummy frankenstein dracula they never did have those horsemen so it's kind of like he filled in the blank for him with a, yeah. a film that would hold up great for it. and it's even got like a windmill uh in the final set piece that would one of the final set pieces that would have been like it his action is good here we complained about it yeah. last of last is, movies yeah. the action's spectacular here this is the first Burt movie with halfway decent and even back then when the reviews started coming out it's like hey for the first time in a burton movie the action's good yeah um, Fun use of Christopher Walken too. When, oh wait, yeah, I, I don't think he was. That's he another where audience. No, there was not no because when he started, all. you're like, "What? It's Christopher Walken!" And everybody cheered because you know, yeah, um, yeah, you know. <laughs> um, and it's 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 a genuine crowd pleaser. Johnny Depp is very good. He creates a very unique and goofy but sympathetic character. Well, he One play- with strong, you know, with with. One of ma- several characters in a in a Tim Burton film that sort of is a man of science who rebels against religious fundamentalism, either right. literally or figuratively. Well, he modeled it off of Roddy McDowell, so that's who he's yeah. portraying. He's playing Ichabod Crane as if he was Roddy McDowell, and I kind of I love that uh, aspect of it. But yeah, and they change him from a school teacher to a forensics yeah. uh, scientist, which is a cool change. And yeah, they- it's, it makes it easier to integrate him into the, the, in the crime plot. Right. And this is one of the I would argue, at least in this period of his time, one of the rare occasions where he plays into his good looks because right. he's a handsome son of a bitch here. 
Yeah. And in a way that he maybe is not in some of his other films. Right. Um, do you think the fanboys of Legend of Sleepy Hollow were mad he didn't get killed at the end of this? Like, do you think? They, uh, are there such they, a thing? Do you think they were starting petitions to reshoot the movie? Um, I'm sure if the if Twitter existed back then, we'd have that. Didn't chop his head off at the end. How dare Sacrilege? I'm like, um, but they made a cool movie. So this is also I I had to realize too, and I don't think I even realized at the time it's a slasher movie. Oh, it's yeah. high, and it's coming out in the Scream era. So do we throw it with the Scream era slashers? It's just the period piece one. Like I'm like, oh yeah, it's they're... kind of the last gasp of the kind of you know the 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 Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, right. Jack Nicholson's Wolf, that kind of thing. True, true. Um, which didn't occur to me till right now. Yay yeah, yeah. It's um, <laughs> by way of like it's yeah, it's it's a whole lot of things, and it's I there's a neat ass touch here that I forgot I'm. I remember being like, oh, wow, neat. Oh, and I saw it in the theater, but it takes place at 1799 at the turn of the century, which we yes. were in 1999 getting ready to go into a new millennium. So it kind of had that nice little uh, localized tie to everything we're going at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, 1799 playing into the millennium as a lot of things did, but this was probably one of the more clever ways of doing it um, that happened. But yeah, like, and yeah, it's just a beautiful looking film. The Lisa Marie flashbacks are amazing. Yes. Uh, where she's floating up. Um, and th- so like, you know, we're going to talk about it later, but Alice in Wonderland, when he got attached to it, I imagined this, these, the flashback scene of Lisa Marie when she's floating. I'm like, that's what his Alice in Wonderland is going to look like. It's, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> But it was like a, it's a magical feeling, and then he's got these horrid fight, like because his mother was accused of witchcraft and murdered in one of those torture machines. It's like a tomb with the spikes, and then there's that scene where she like floats out of it, and there's blood everywhere, and it's it's one of those you know when I talk a lot about this about movies in the pre temple all temple all the time era where films of this nature, and this was an expensive film, it was a hundred million dollar picture in colonial sl- colonial slasher films, yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean, but it was able to be just offhandedly political and or morally righteous in a way that today would inspire a gajillion think pieces. Right. Um, I mean, I I don't think the film is particularly political. It's just a matter of so much of what we used to take for granted in our upgrade entertainment is just being on the right side of history and occasionally on the wrong side of history too. Um, As opposed to this bland irrelevance where everything is metaphor. Yeah. Um, but honestly, my only issue with the film is the very obvious age difference between Christina Ricci and uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was 19 or 18 or 19 and looked at. He was 36 and looked at. And, you know, you talk about the age disparity in Hollywood. I mean, you know, he, you know, uh, you know 10 years earlier, he's, you know, basically the same age as Winona Ryder. And Christina Ricci's playing her like super younger sister. And then ten years later, he's ten years older, but she's now playing his love interest. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's more of a she's got a look that you know Burton's like, oh, that's perfect for my picture. Oh and yeah, I'm surprised they haven't worked together I, more. You know, and the fact is I I think it's it's both bad and good that I don't think he thought twice about age difference. Um that she could just get the part because she was what he needed. Oh no! Also, and this is this wasn't part of the discourse back then. Yeah. I'm sure. It just right. to me, just in this particular picture, because she looks so young. There's yeah. plenty of movies where like he, he 25 year old Zoe too. Deschanel like, yeah. gets it off with 45 year old Jim Carrey and Yes Man, and right. 
they both look in their early 30s, so it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, but anyway, I digress. Yeah. Uh, but no, it is great horror, great action. Yeah, it's a spectacular popcorn entertainment. Great atmosphere, great comedy, great style, great performances, great goofiness. Like, this is everything. This movie offers so much to it. Uh, um, it's got a cool twist on the Headless Horseman. It's got spooky, iconic, like that tree of death is awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't say a bad thing about this movie. I really can't. It's, it's, <laughs> And it's funny because I'm like, what's your favorite Tim Burton film? Oh, so Sleepy Hollow. Well, no. Uh, <laughs> it's in there. It's probably maybe top five. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I know did it's a like air, it back air, when the peculiar yeah. children or whatever came out. I don't remember what the order was. Yeah. I know. Uh, so Aaron Newarth, this is his favorite Tim Burton film. Oh, yeah. Um, I can absolutely see and that. And him and I did a commentary. When we had the, we did a, uh, one of my first podcasts was, him, I, and Maxwell Haddad did a uh, Sleepy Hollow podcast based off the, the Fox TV show. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that. And between seasons, uh, to build up for season two, we did a commentary on this movie. So there's more thoughts of that if you can search the internet. Uh, it was the Ichapod Cranecast. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I'm big on this movie. Scott, how'd the box office fare for it? This was the comeback that he needed. Who it did, opened with who did 30 million. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, this is a cool weekend, yeah. Yeah, this opened right alongside the World is Not Enough, which I would argue is the most underrated James Bond film. Is it now? Oh, I believe it is. Absolutely. I is think it, it's pretty terrific. It is. I like it. I've always I've I've always <laughs> liked it hipster style. <laughs> Honestly, my only issue with it is the action. You know, Michael Apt couldn't give two shits about the action. Right. But whatever. Um, it opened with $30 million coming in second to The World is Not Enough, which did 35. This is it a both-win scenario. This was I, this might have been the first weekend where two new releases both opened with $30 million. Hmm. You know, again, this was 20, you know, 23 years ago. Um, and that was huge for an R-rated movie. Uh, it wasn't a record, but it was pretty damn impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, the film legged out. It wasn't super leggy, but it did crack $101 million domestic, 105 overseas for 206 globally on a $100 million budget. Yeah, that was just double the budget. It wasn't a blockbuster, but this was a time when marketing was cheaper. Mm-hmm. And the post theatrical afterlife was more guaranteed. Uh, and this, I remember, was basically one of Paramount's first special edition DVDs. Okay. Because I remember at that time, you know, Paramount was putting out their titles as bare bones yeah. discs. And I was thinking, oh, you know, this is back when I care. It's like, oh boy, you know, I'm, oh no, it's a Paramount, which means the DVD is not going to have special features. And it turned out to be a pretty solid disc. Yeah. There was a commentary. There were featurettes. There might have been deleted scenes. I don't remember. It was just, you know, it was the whole package. Um, And again, it's a Blu-ray that needs an upgrade because it didn't have lossless sound. And the menu uh, tech is really slow on it because I'm like, what's going on? It's like, it came up. (laughs) The, uh, and yeah, the reviews were pretty decent. And this was absolutely the comeback that he needed. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, to I, me, this sort of, I mean, this almost, to me, Sleepy Hollow sort of feels like the end of the first half of his career. Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know, maybe it's the first third now, I mean, because we're all old, but. Certainly um, the end of his millennium. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and part of that was because, you know, the, the kids that grew up with, you know, Pee Wee, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, we were all starting college and, you know, by the time 
Planet of the Apes would open, we were a lot of us were almost done with college. Yeah. And we were adults now. Yeah. Um speaking of Planet of the Apes, I'll let yeah. you take over. All right. Yeah. So we'll we'll cross the millennium to two thousand one for Planet of the Apes. At the edge of the universe. Why have you come here? A stranger appears. Rise on your master. We underestimate the spaceman. A leader is chosen. They all want to see this human who defies the apes. A revolution begins. We can win this. I will hunt him down myself. Here they come. Planet of the Apes. Rated PG-13. July 26. Uh, written by William Broyles Jr., Mark Rosenthal, and Lawrence Connor, based on a novel, La Planète des Sang by Pierre Bouillet, starring Mark Wahlberg, Tim Roth, Helena Bonham Carter, Michael Clark Duncan, Paul Giamatti, Estella Warren, Kari Hiroyuku Tagawa, Tagawa uh, T- David Warner, Chris Christopherson, Lisa Marie, this is her last, uh, Eric Avari, Glenn Shaddix, Fred and Paul Shen, Michael Chase, and Ramsey, Deep Roy, Andrew Agrano and Charlton Heston. In 2029, an Air Force astronaut crash lands on. Oh, we are. We are. That's a couple years. Crash lands on a mysterious planet where evolved talking apes dominate a race of primitive humans. Um, I will note special effects guys like Howard Berger and Rick Baker do make cameos as apes. Um, Scott, this is a film. I come back to every so many years. I wind up going through my apes movies. Sometimes I skip over it. Sometimes I, I hit it. Um, but for this, in prep for this uh, retrospective, I decided to read the book Planet of the Apes for the very first time. I'm a huge pl- Planet of the Apes is one of my top five franchises. Uh, franchise. I hate saying franchise. It's such a sports term. I always try to say film series. Um, Planet of the Apes is one of my favorites. I never read the book it was based on. Um, So in preparation for this, I read it. It's like 100 pages. It's really short. I was like, maybe Burton was pulling stuff here that I could appreciate watching it this time. Being like, oh, okay, okay. Um, Aside from it being not Earth and starting on a space station and somewhat a retweaking at the end of this movie, no. Um, and to be honest, nobody's done the book right yet. And the book's really good. (laughs) Uh, I, I, it's, it's, this is a weird thing because this is an expensive movie. The money's on the screen. The effects look good and stuff. The people are performing pretty well, but it's, boring mm-hmm. it's so the opening credits has a score and up, i'm like I, I dig this score and then it never goes back to that catchiness the score never does and when it has this little catchy part with the drums it's like always in the really low background they never ramp it up this does not look feel or play anything like a tim burton movie and it feels he feels like he was a hired hand and maybe some of the eight palace design like is Burton-esque, but that's kind of stretching it. And casting choices feel forced upon him. Like uh, Mark Wahlberg, Estella Warren, do not feel like people he would have cast in a movie. No, at not all. at all. And he was 
they were both it people at the time. He's coming off boogie nights, um, trying to get him something big. And then she was just, she was this it, it girl. Let's, she was a model and we throw models in movies if they get popular enough. And she had a career that was this and driven and like one other movie. And I think she still works or something, but, um, didn't pan out here. She's beautiful and does what she can here, but I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like, this is, this is his first unmitigated miss critically. I mean, artistically, um, it was a, in retrospect, it feels like the first example of what something we'd see a lot of in the next 20 years, to be honest, mm-hmm. which is what I like to call a generic blockbuster, the movie. Yeah. You know, I, all due respect, I hold you know, I consider John Carter to be a movie like that or Jack the Giant Slayer. Um, and ironically, I would say, you know, Alice in Wonderland kind of kicked that off all over again, where you take these non-action IPs and try to make an action fantasy out of them. Um, although maybe the mummy was first. I you know, that's debatable. Um, but this is a film with you know, the characters aren't particularly enjoyable or or engrossing. The There's really no plot other than there are apes. I want to not be on this planet of the apes, and the human should be free, okay? Um, yeah, I, do, I have no idea a, what this movie wants to tell us or be. There's a slight metaphor for, you know, animal cruelty and not treating animals as domesticated pets, which okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's a really dumb callback where uh Charlton Heston you know shows Tim Roth a gun and reenacts his damn it, they blew it all the hell speech, mm-hmm. which was very weird because even then Charlton Heston was a very well known advocate of uh guns for anyone and everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh he was not, you know, he was the opposite of a gun control guy to the point where Tim Roth actually was not thrilled about having to act alongside him because this was two years after the Columbine shootings. Mm-hmm. Um Roth actually turned, I don't know if he turned down, but he or he just decided between the two. Uh, but he was initially rumored to be Snape in the I Harry think, Potter films before leaving for this instead. I think this was his already commitment and he either couldn't, like they wanted him, he couldn't, or he, he agreed to, but then this, like something with this kept him from being there. And, you know, there was about a three-week space in which everyone thought Tim Roth was going to be Snape. And that was the three-week space in which I read the first four books in the summer of 2000. Mm-hmm. So the entire first four books, when I read Snape, I imagined Tim Roth. And then, the uh. se- like, the second I finished Goblet of Fire, which came out that summer, oh, never mind, it's Alan Rickman. Which, of course, is terrific casting, yada, yada, yada. The rest is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just funny. Um, it was one, you know, is this another Duggery Scott situation? Um, right. Although uh, Roth is obviously doing better than uh, Duggery Scott these days, all due respect. Right. Um, He's on a resurgence here. But the uh, film is is so bland and generic. And this is, Scott, this is the worst shot Burton movie we've covered so far. And for, like, yes. And maybe for this whole thing. With, this may still be his worst movie. Like, that I mean, might, he will make other bad movies, but yeah. nothing as boring as this. That's what's that, adding to the boringness is the, the shooting of it. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's weird because they, you know, they, there was the notion of a Planet of the Apes remake floating around for years. Oliver Stone was was attached at mm-hmm. one point. Schwarzenegger was going to be in it. Yeah. And this was sort of, in a skewed way, this was sort of the invention of the modern reboot. But here they kept calling it, it's not a sequel, it's not a remake, it's a reimagining. 
There's a room, but there were um, at the time a lot of the ideas that were floating around were direct sequels, um, mm-hmm. a sequel to the set. Like um, there was a, a like James Cameron was some like I guess it was Planet of the Apes was a backup plan in case Titanic did not do well for James Cameron. So there were talks with him that tracks, but this was what he was going to do if. Titanic well. <laughs> and then, of course, James Cameron goes, okay, how about if I make a movie that's kind of like this, but it doesn't suck? Right. And I'm like, <laughs> so the guy who shot this is Philip Rousselot, and he'll do the next two Tim Burton movies, but he's not bad. He's not a bad DP. I don't know what happened. He shot Beast recently, which was has some amazing well, camera work. Picture, yeah. Yeah. Well, that it, entire film is like one long take after another. I love yeah, it. And it's great. Um, and he does some of the best. I'm not Paul Greengrass, Paul Greengrass work. Um, he shot hope and glory river runs through like interview of the vampire. Like this guy is not beautiful creatures. We both like that movie. Yeah. Uh, the nice guy, Sherlock Holmes, two fantastic beasts. What happened here? Like, He's not coming off being bad. He's not learning, but it's just like put the camera down, shoot. And this movie doesn't even want to be in the Planet of the Apes. Like it just, the minute we get to the city, how the hell do we get out of here? Like a lot of the idea of Planet of the Apes is the main character gets thrown in and has to integrate. It's not, I guess maybe because Planet of the Apes has action to it, but it's not about action sequences. And this is like, did we not have the money to, to I get it because when you leave you only need two apes because Paul Giamatti and Helena Bonacardum follow but it's really wild because I don't know what it wants to do like okay you're a we have to find this thing but you, we have a jerk lead who selfishly leaves his his uh space station to go get this ape we're supposed to be like oh he's going to save save the monkey so he gets there and he's like fuck this place i need to get out let's go oh i don't care and her father sacrificed himself for me i don't give a fuck and he's like runs out and they're like all right we'll find out oh there's my space station crashed oh oh it's all because of me i did this well fuck this i gotta get off this planet like what what is like Roy McClure couldn't have said it better himself. Yeah. I um, just, and Wahlberg's just not right here. Um, no. He's 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 one of our or was, I mean, you know, it's been a while, but he's one of our best blue collar movie stars. He is. And that is one reason why he is a you know, back in the early two thousand tens and late two thousands, he really was a butts and seats opener for a while. Well he's kinda like but, Matt he's also Matt Damon plan B too. That's kind of yeah, how he worked as well. But I mean there's a certain salt of the earth where he's great where he's playing, you know, quote unquote blue collar you know, people, people, but when he's playing generic action hero or not Neo in Infinite, Jesus God, um, that's a ah. terrible picture. Um, well, here and, he was doing like stuff like the Corruptor was up there yeah. putting with Chai and Fat, like, and that I, I like that picture. No, it was cool. Uh, cool I think movie. he's very. That's a good fit for him. He's a yeah. blue collar police officer with a strong moral code. Um, I, I don't want to say he was miscast in the happening because I'm. I wonder if Shyamalan was was attempting something very specific, but yeah. ah. it's certainly a st- very strange performance. Right. Um, and but no, I mean, Wahlberg is almost an underrated actor just by virtue of, for one thing, he's an underrated comic actor, and that he's right. very funny when he's allowed to be. Well, he had such a strong. Like I always, I attribute that I think around the same time, like 
he and Kate Hudson break out huge in these movies there I don't know if we've seen either they're not bad after but I don't know if we've seen them any better than when we first got to know them with Boogie Nights Kate Hudson is a terrific dramatic actor who got pigeonholed into romantic comedies right right Um, and and he was great in Boogie Nights and then yeah I don't know if we've seen him push that he's he's, he's, you know We Own the Night he was very I think that's what it's called We Own the Night Um, that one's pretty good Um, yeah We Own the Night is something people I think just dismissed and it's actually a really good um, movie and uh, I mean the movie is the movie but he's perfectly good in Fathers too. he's he's yeah when he needs to act he can act he's 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 very again he's very unlike he's a movie star for people that claim to not like Hollywood because it's a liberal oasis blah 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 of stuff that winds up on TNT running nonstop. Yeah, that's- shooter. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a weird. That's a weirdly you know considering you know his involvement. That's basically you know what if a generic eighties action movie was super liberal, right? Um, which is why I was amused when they started the TV show and it's like it's this television for Trump's America. I was like, did you see the movie? He kills right. Dick Cheney at the end. <laughs> um, but anyway. Oh, I got- um, but no, this is a terribly dull, uninteresting, uncourageous movie. You could tell that the film wants mm-hmm. him and Helen Bonham Carter to hook up, but they just can't commit to the bit. And him and Estelle Warren have no romantic chemistry. Yeah. Um, no, they don't. They need to, well, as is fashion in the in the book, um, <laughs> Nova and uh, it's not Taylor. It's some other. I can't remember the name. They they don't really have chemistry right away. He has more chemistry with the lead ape woman, um, yeah. Zira, um, as she's named in the book, just like the original movie. He has more chemistry there as intellectuals and such. Um, but the 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 Nova stuff comes good. And I keep it with the book. In the book, he takes the the woman that he the Nova person that Estelle Warren plays, which isn't Nova because they named uh, Lisa Marie's character Nova. Um, goes with it back into space with them and they travel um they and they have because the now the book's so thing, cool because the controversy is she gets pregnant and it becomes a huge thing with the apes um oh, about having not the ape woman the the yeah, yeah. human woman and they got to get them and cornelius and zero like we need to get you out of this planet before crap happens but as much as i do not enjoy planet of the apes and i do think it's probably burton's worst picture yeah I like the ending. I think it's a nice. It's fuck good you. ending. No, it's, <laughs> I, like I, I was trying to think of my compliments for the movie. Aside from looks expensive, yeah, or, and 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 you know the ape makeup and stuff. But I think enjoy the, the cliffhanger. The cliffhanger's good. The twists are well done. Yeah, here when he goes to find on the ship, um, and he's haunted by what's there, and the the time think of the little ape coming by, and the other apes realizing that Tim Ross might not be a good one. And I think they needed to establish a bit more. Uh, there's a classification system among the apes themselves that doesn't really get shown here um, where Tim Roth's character is actually pretty significant even more if you know what's going on because the chimps are supposed to be your intellectuals and scientists and stuff um, and then the gorillas are the brute ones and then having a chimp be a villain, that's a pretty big deal in the in the spectrum of Planet of the Apes um, that's clear as day in the original films. Um, but like seeing it here, I'm like, oh, that, you know, my knowledge of Planet of the Apes says I read in the book and revisit them. I'm like, that's cool that 
they pick Tim Roth to be this evil chimp. That's cool, but they don't really establish why it's such a big deal in this movie other than this, like, he's ferocious. Um, but there's supposed to be a classification system, and that's part of how it ticks there. But, you know, it's a reimagining, so I'll let and them imagine. It's just less interesting. The film opened in late July of 20, 2001 amid one of the worst summer movie seasons of my lifetime, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, I like The Mummy Returns quite a bit, but, other, well, and I like Shrek, obviously. Everybody loves Shrek. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I mean, Tomb Raider was terrible. Uh, Rush Hour 2 was fine, I guess. Um, American Pie 2? Was okay. Uh, you know, the big July 4th movies were Cats and Dogs 2 and or Cats and Dogs and Sleepy and Scary Movie 2. Pearl Harbor was not good. Nope. Um, there are people that like Moulin Rouge more than I do, so be it. Um, and this was a train wreck, I would argue. It's I like Jurassic Park one. 3, it's fine, but it almost broke the opening weekend record. Yeah. It came no, with like three million dollars of, of the Lost World Jurassic Park. It you know, you had the Planet of the Apes franchise, you have Mark Wahlberg, you have Tim Burton, who was you know popular again. You have again movies of this size and scale were not an everyday occurrence, even in the mm-hmm. summer. And it opened with sixty-eight point five million dollars and earned a pretty decent one hundred and eighty domestic and three sixty-two worldwide. And this one always stands out as an example of a in a less IP driven, less franchise necessary time, Fox was able to say, Yeah, we dodged a bullet on this one. But if yeah. we make a sequel, it's gonna bomb because nobody liked this one. We're just gonna quit while we're ahead and not make a sequel. Right. It's a rare occurrence of this just stands alone. Yeah. It can be Twilight Zone ending. Yeah. As the original intended itself to be. Um, but oh. yeah, like it, this, I remember this was, I, this was probably my most anticipated movie that summer. And I, I, my sister and I went and saw it. We went and we, we went to like Pizza Hut after, I think, or something. And we were just like, well, like, I don't think we were like hated the movie at the time, but we just, we knew it didn't work. And, you know, I may be we, mistaken yeah. just in terms of the critics that I read, but I don't recall the reviews being terribly savage at first. I think they appreciate I mean, the production design. That was like I mean, the one thing that was common among the critics. I mean, I went into it when the reviews were at least good enough that I wasn't expecting to get, you know, quote unquote, blindsided by how mm-hmm. bad it was. Um, but this this was a stinker. I saw it twice because I was sure I missed something the first time. Tim Burton couldn't have made a movie this bland, lifeless, and generic and without any real broader point of interest, but I was wrong. Yeah, there's a running theme here between this and Mars Attacks where it's like these big scale things that he just can't capture. Like, yeah. Where's the interesting stuff that you normally do? Why isn't it translating and, to these set pieces? Yeah, I think part of it is, you know, when you have a filmmaker that is remaking or reimagining a film that they grew up loving, there's almost an implicit desire to not want to make a better picture. Yeah. And that's why I, you know, we'll talk about this, I think, next week. But with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he did not like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. So at least he was going into this with the idea that I guess I can do better. Yeah. And I'm not going to accidentally make a movie that replaces one that I love in the pop culture sphere. Right, right. Maybe I'm just <laughs> making excuses for him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed, it, it's kind of weird. It's it's nice. Oh, Tim Burton. But like, he seems a weird choice for Planet of the Apes to begin yeah. with. Like, it's, and, you know, it's, it's, it's. it's I think part of it is in his wheelhouse, but this just isn't in the right property. From yeah, the it's still you know an outcast in a, in a foreign land that can't fit in, and and I just think the the the, the world that's created is it's 
you know, are they sympathizing with the apes? Are they sympathizing with the humans? It's just there's not a lot of there there. And again, it just it, it strikes me as a like no, it doesn't. Nothing. And that's what's shocking. Because Planet of the Apes is a franchise that should be saying so. It oh yeah, it's been allowed. Political. Yeah, angrily so. Um, and it's just it's again, it, it reminded me of sort of it sort of was a precursor to what I would consider Mad Libs generic blockbuster movies that were right. very expensive, that had heroes' journeys with hot white guys hitting up with hot white girls mm-hmm. and saving the day from a generic, you know, conquering bad guy, and there's a big mass battle at the end. And, but it's, 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 again, it's, it's Mad Libs. Like, who, at this time, who would have been better in the Wahlberg role for this? Who would have made this work better? It's probably, I don't think the role... Whoever's in it matters. I think the movie still sucks, but who yeah. makes the journey better? Like, who fits it at this time in 2000? Tough, because it is a role that you kind of need to, you know, but somewhat, I mean, Schwarzenegger. Yeah. I mean, at the, you know, obviously he was dealing with, I don't think he was well enough to do that kind of movie at that point in time. He just had heart surgery. Yeah. Um, no, that's not true, because he was already doing uh, the, the, he was already making movies. Um, he had done End of Days, The Sixth Day, and uh, Collateral Damage, right. which was about to come out. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, okay, Schwar- I'll say Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger, directed by Tim Burton. Yeah, that's that'd be interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's who we all expect to see because he seemed like the next. He seemed like a natural extension of Charlton Heston, kind of. Well, it, it's they both weird. Had the it's same like kind of presence there. You know, you have a, a director like Burton that clearly identifies with the Johnny Depp's of the world, right. and yet he made a hundred million dollar picture starring a variation on Casper Van Dien. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I can't. Do you think he approached and was like Johnny Depp? No, okay. He, he just headlined Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of action stars that weren't Schwarzenegger at the time to fit the bill or some. Because well, we were in this weird in between spot where, well, other than Nicolas Cage, you weren't seeing a ton of, you know, quote unquote serious actors being molded into action stars. Well, yeah, it's like at this the time. The Born Identity was the next year. Well, there's no way in hell they're putting like Christian Slater in this. Like, yeah. that's not, that's not, that's a no right from the bat. Even though Wahlberg's, he's not proven yet, but like interest level is probably there. I mean, how old is Jason Scott Lee at this point? I mean, he's probably in his mid to late 30s, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. I mean, um, well, Keanu's not doing it. Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Keanu, uh, nobody would see like. Your Kiefer Sutherland as an action star till like the next year. He might be a little too old. <laughs> About six months later. Yeah, but a little um, too old. But I'm trying. I'm just trying to think like who. It's such a nothing part that you're I'm almost like here, punishing I'm, anyone that takes it. Right. Well, I'm sitting here saying like Wahlberg's not right for the part, but not providing like. Well, then who would you have put here? And like, what, this is the kind of role that like Clooney? Christopher Reeve like, would. What the that f- Christopher Reeve was always turning down because it was quote unquote too close to Superman, and then he, you know, why does anyone want to hire me now? Yeah. I just yeah, I'm trying to think, and it's just like uh, Tom Cruise. You know, you could put Tom Cruise. Yeah, there. but um, yeah. well, I mean, you know, the Mummy, <laughs> right? That's a yeah. that's a rare example of him doing generic blockbuster. The movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Mummy, Fraser, Brendan Fraser could have could have yeah, been here, but I mean, he's you know he's he's got his own thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, I just yeah, it's, it's trying to think like trying to provide a That's a tough one. Val Kilmer? Acting wise, sure, but I don't think he gets butts in the seats. No, not getting butts in the seats. Uh oh. on. I I just like sitting here drawing blank. I mean, does like, Will Smith want to do something like this at this point? He's in the middle of doing Ali. Right. And he's in a slump, frankly. Snipes is you know, too intense for it. Yeah. For what you want. Um, um Yeah. A Denzel? Oh, that! I mean, he can do anything. So I mean, it's it's. Yeah. Oh, he's already he's already likeable. older. Might, yeah. I mean, he's not a young guy even then. Right. Because he's about to do you know play the grizzled old mentor in Training Day. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could do it because he's fucking Denzel. Right. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like, he'd, <laughs> he'd make it instantly more likeable, even if the yeah. page, page isn't giving it to him. So yeah. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. It's kind of interesting um, just to be like, yeah, who who the hell would the, get this to do this? But no, I mean, the, the other problem is, again, you have a generic supermodel that isn't really an actress as the female lead. Right. And everyone else is hidden behind makeup. makeup. Well, I feel like, yeah, if not, well, I bet, you know what? I bet they're like, if we, Mark says no, see if Affleck's doing anything. Yeah. This is the kind of movie that Affleck would have done during yeah, this no, he you know, taken movie it. star period. Yeah. Right, right or wrong, he was taking the big movie. Yeah. And that's what you do, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, this All is right. this so, is yeah. It's, it's still no good. This one on a low note. Twenty-one years later, still no good, and it's a shame. Like it's just it's so it's such this anomaly of in watching Planet of the Apes, you don't need to watch it. You don't need like you can skip out. Like there is no. It's so weird. Like there's there's no curiosity. It needs to be dug up for this movie and it's 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 crazy to think it's got a name director it's got one of our biggest stars of post-millennium in it it's a name property nothing there's no nothing it's just so boring it's so weird it's it's so weird that it's, it's not that long no it's of a, a movie picture. it's not that long of a movie um yeah so yeah uh, that is uh, Planet of the the worst Planet of the Apes property um, that has happened, and maybe I'm gonna guess Tim Burton's. I don't think we'll see something this bad again. We're gonna see some not great things, but this just it's just hard to get through. Um, yeah, just wild. But I I don't think people weren't trying here. But all right, so we're now across the millennium. Next time, we'll be taking a look at an animated project, Oscar Hopes with Big Fish, a second Charlie and the Chocolate Factory adaptation, and a return to stop motion that he does direct with Corpse Bride. So, Scott, mm-hmm. as always, such a joy to have you here. Um, it's always a pleasure. Where can people uh, go and find the stuff from you currently? Uh, I'm currently at The Wrap at the moment as a staff reporter. And I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson. All right. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD, written work at YSOBlue.com. There's more for the Brand Pierce show this week, uh, the Old Space show. Uh, and yeah, come back next week for more Burton. Uh, very, very excited to delve into this other side of the millennium because things are going to get really interesting here and really different and stuff I don't have just locked in my memory easily. So these uh, these are going to be pretty fun. So till then, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. 
The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetersshow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetersshow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.